They are the self-appointed guardians of morality, the naysayers of the nightlife, the avowed adversaries of all things awesome. They murmur disapproval and condemnation for all presumed vices. Who are these brooding busybodies? Yes, they are the fun police, and in this episode, we're going to peel back the curtain on these modern-day prohibitionists. Yeah, let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our Cardio Miracle Studios here in lovely Eastern Indiana. Revolutionize your heart health with Cardio Miracle. This natural supplement boosts nitric oxide for a healthier and better blood pressure, plus uh, plus increased energy, better sleep, and enhanced blood flow. Feel the difference today. Visit CardioMiracle.com or just head below into the the, the video description or the show notes. Use code TBNS for 15% off your order. And by the way, there's a 100% money back guarantee, so you quite literally have nothing to lose except for that high blood pressure, sleepless nights, and uh, elsewise. So with that being said, one more time, CardioMiracle.com. Join the tens of thousands of others who are experiencing the heart health journey difference today. All right, folks, let's talk about, yes, these moral busybodies, these modern-day prohibitionists, why are they so focused on addressing the vices that we in society maybe enjoy to discuss that and more? Joining us today is Bill Wirtz from the Consumer Choice Center. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. And you did a better intro there for the podcast than I possibly could have done. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, yeah, I know I must say it's probably about six years or so of doing this. It's got me uh, up to snuff, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Bill, thank you for joining the show. Really looking forward to uh, digging into things today as we talk about morality, vices, all that fun stuff. But first, do us a favor. Introduce yourself as well as the Consumer, uh, Consumer Choice Center. Yeah, so my name is Bill Wirtz. I'm uh, the senior policy analyst at Consumer Choice Center. I do a lot of our media work and publishing in newspapers all around the world. And uh, I, for a long time, I wanted to do a podcast series. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the series podcast, whether it's Serial, This American Life. And I wanted to have something that, you know, addresses the neo-prohibitionists out there. And so I got the opportunity to do it. And uh, yeah, it's a five-part series. And we are just uh, one episode uh, away from uh, finalizing it. Uh, in uh, in this season, so uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's been a journey so far to to work on this. And then uh, Beto Beto, who's that? The Fun Police, right? That's your new podcast, The Fun Police, over on YouTube, a part of the Consumer Choice Center uh, offerings there. So we're gonna dig into that, but. Today, Bill, I wanted to talk about these vices, right? You see, there has been a resurgence, and, and it really has never gone away, but it seems like with the advent of the uh, the social medias that all these different niche cause organizations, now they can you know, promote their, their message in mass, which might be a good thing in certain areas, but in other areas, maybe not so much. So let's go through some of these, these you know, moral busybodies and to the point where we do, yes, now have the fun police here in 2023 still rearing their ugly heads, trying to stop the rest of us from having a good time. How did we get to this point, Bill? Well, I mean, so the prohibitionist movements and the, the temperance movements back in the day, you know, people who argued for prohibition of alcohol in the United States, uh, they, you know, they got funding from big billionaires back in the day who thought they were going to improve society as a result of that. Um, and and their argument was sort of from a public morality sort of you were doing something awful. Sometimes they would use religious arguments, but ultimately they were making the case you are a corrupt human being if you consume 
alcohol, tobacco, and uh, some cases even coffee and tea. Uh, masturbation was evil also. And so they were really trying to get the, the hand of government to ban all of these things. And they were successful with alcohol prohibition until, well, the rest of the world realized that alcohol prohibition does nothing but boost uh, the illicit market <laughs> and created people such as Al Capone, and it was a massive disaster. Now, some other countries also tried similar things. Um, uh, Canada had prohibition for a much shorter time than the United States, uh, and ultimately, the result has always been the same. Prohibition just simply doesn't work. I mean, for instance, you have to know, Americans drank 60 to 70 percent more alcohol during prohibition than they did before prohibition so this really really didn't work <laughs> talk about unintended consequences you gotta love it um now bill is is this just vices as it pertains to the the more i guess shall we say illicit substances right alcohol uh cannabis go down the, the harder drugs cocaine heroin all those other fun things um is is this where the focus is or do we start to drift more into other areas of uh, maybe vices like uh, gambling, prostitution, so on and so forth. What is super interesting in this whole conversation we have today is we start to treat uh, the sort of what we consider the harder drugs differently because we recognize the failure of the war on drugs. But then we move into areas that, you know, we always considered softer and we become stricter on those. So while certain states uh, and, and, and countries believe that, you know, clean needle exchange programs and uh, taking a more lenient approach on, on hard drugs is the better way forward because it considers people who potentially are addicted as people with a with a condition that, that can be treated rather than as criminals mm. and filling up the prisons with them. Um, so so that th there is a positive sentiment there. But at the same time, people think, oh, well, um, we think that vaping is very awful, so let's just completely ban it. Menthol cigarettes, let's ban those because that will have no repercussions whatsoever on the, on the, on the, police, uh, uh, on the police involvement in trying to enforce it. Um, and uh, sugary drinks, you know, let's limit the size of sugary drink. Michael Bloomberg <laughs> yep. uh, started that in New York. So it's, it's, it's a lot of these things. It's, it's, it's a very odd thing that happens at the same time where we look at hard drugs in a more mature way and then all the things that are sort of the, the, the low-level vices, quote-unquote, they become, like, more harshly treated. Mm, interesting. Well, and, and let's maybe just to help folks uh, better conceptualize what we're articulating here, are there any countries, any states that you can point to in particular that would help maybe paint the picture of what a, a, a society that you're trying to build would maybe look like? When my friends over at Blood of Tyrants said, Hey, Brian, we know you don't drink alcohol, but we have a great product built for you. I knew something must be up. And that's when I found out about Liquid Freedom. Crafted with natural ingredients and the power of Yerba Mate, this revolutionary energy tea is 100% sugar-free and crash-free. So you can go ahead and use code TBNS at checkout for 10% off your orders, and you can sip with a purpose while also embracing the Freedom Revolution minus the alcohol. One more time, get your your liquid freedom tea by heading to briannicholshow.com forward slash tea. And now back to the show. Huh, a society I would try to build. It sounds very utopian, but ultimately my the goal, the goal of I mean my goal and the goal of Consumer Choice Center is essentially to have a system in which adult consumers make choices for themselves. And we say adult consumers because we do think that there's a there's a there's a there's a regulatory, moral, societal obligation to keep minors away from a lot of the things that we talk about. We don't want children gambling, we don't want children vaping. That it, it makes no sense. They are not at a stage where they get to make informed decisions, and it's also uh, unhealthy for for them. However, with adults that have the information about consequences, 
and 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 you know can 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 make those decisions for themselves. They should be able to do that in 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 a fashion that is that is regulated. Because if they don't, then what happens is that they move to the illicit market. I mean, just take the example of 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 sports betting, which was which was illegal in the United States for for a very long time, and that became and then became legal not too long ago after a Supreme Court decision. And what you see now is you have economic boost in an increasing amount of states as a result of this, um, and 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 people not flocking to those very shady websites any, anymore, but now doing it in, in a fashion that is regulated, advertised in a certain way as well. Um, and, and we have a mature, more mature consumer market, uh, more, more mature companies that engage with it, and that also have sort of a social responsibility. Because I think this idea that, for instance, gambling, uh, that, that a casino, for instance, benefits from somebody completely bankrupting themselves is also just just not true. Also, Jack Daniels doesn't want you to drink yourself to death. That is not ultimately actually not a good customer anyway. Uh, so, so I think we, as 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 we treat those things as adults, as 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 consumers, as adults, we we learn more about how to deal with those extreme cases where people go overboard. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and let's maybe dig into that a little bit more because. And I can hear it, right? Because we've talked about this a couple times here in the show in more recent months where there is that kind of fine line between acceptance and tolerance, right? So we can accept that people can live their lives as they see fit. And and maybe that's not going to align with the ways that we would want them to live, right? So I used to be a heavy drinker and it turned, you know, probably about two and a half years ago at this point where I said, you know what? No more drinking. And I've been sober since. And for me, like that, that was a, a great personal choice for me. But maybe that's not the right choice for somebody else. Now, I would advocate other people to maybe you know put down the drinks and experience a sober life because it's very eye-opening in, in terms of how much you were missing when you're completely masked by a substance, right? But then there goes into the, well, the, the tolerance, right? And, and you go towards other issues. How much of that will I tolerate towards other people doing this? And then, well... Are they harming somebody else? No. Okay. Well, what happens if they go behind the you know the the wheel of a car, right? And now all of a sudden you start to add in all these potential uh, unintended consequences or just nefarious uh, consequences due to their actions. And I guess then it turns into the well, where is that line, right? Where is the line of accepting people's maybe not great ways of living their life? But then where do we draw the line of tolerance and in, in saying, you know, well, we'll tolerate you but up to the point that you're now having a direct harm on not just maybe others, but society by and large. Now, if I believe that the neo-prohibitionists made the argument about drunk driving from the perspective of trying to avoid all of those cases only, I would maybe say, okay, but let's have a conversation about how to, you know, how to look into those specific cases and how to solve them. But that's not the argument they're ultimately making. I mean, we, there's neo neo temperance groups out there, such as like Movendi, which used to be called the International Order of Good Templars, that you know lobby in Canada to get alcohol consumption down to practically zero. So these people, they, they, they they're ideologues. They don't they use those cases um, as as you know, it, it's convenient accidents in order to make a case that we should prohibit all of it. Um, and I mean, for, for cannabis regulation, it was the same thing. If you listen to the way that people argued for the, the continued prohibition of cannabis, the arguments they were making in the 70s really don't make much sense today anymore. Uh, I mean, the idea that people would turn violent and criminals and all of those things, when very often cannabis has the, you know, doesn't really, I mean, makes you very much the opposite of violent, if, as, as far as I can tell. Um, so, so I think, I think that, that, that part, I don't really, 
I don't really accept as a, as a counter argument. And then also what you said about advocating for people to change their lifestyle. I think that is the good approach. I mean, if you, if you want to do better and want to change other people's lives, you can lead by example. Just take the example, for instance, of people who don't want to eat meat, either for health reasons or because they don't think it's ethical. They didn't enforce that by law. But 30 years ago, you were hard pressed to find any vegetarian or even vegan meal in a restaurant. But look at it now. I mean, now there's so many choices. You'll, you'll, you'll have a hard time finding a restaurant that doesn't. And that is sort of a market demand that they created by campaigning, by going out there, by advocating for their beliefs. And I think that is the way to go about it. Lead by example. Um, but don't use the force of government because, A, I don't think that's that's a that, that in, in, a, in a liberal democracy, we shouldn't do it that way. And second of all, it also just doesn't work. I mean, that's the we always need to come back to that. Just prohibition just doesn't work. <laughs> Amen. Well, and, and here, let's, let's keep my uh, my devil's advocate hat on for this uh, this case. Um, when you're talking about when we make these these markets um, open and illegal and regulated, you, you mentioned the one part of, you know, then then you can actually advertise it. Right. But then I guess for the devil's advocate standpoint, well, do you want to advertise these different things, right? And, and you started to go towards more of, let, let's say like, you know, you look at the trans issue, right? And it, as it pertains to kids and you see how there has been this um, slippery meat slope kind of mentality of back 20 years ago saying, oh, well, this is just for equal rights. And the, the argument against that was saying, well, no, you're going to go after the kids next. And they're like, ah, stop it. And now fast forward 20 years and kids are being force fed this stuff in government schools. And all the parents who said this 20 years ago are now saying, yes, slippery meat slope. But you look at those kids who now have been, I can't think of a different word to use besides indoctrinated. They've been indoctrinated in a government school and now they're going off to real life. And these ideas don't disappear. So now all of a sudden, the, the context of what's accepted and, and tolerated has completely switched in the purview. So I, I say all that, do we risk changing the, the, the kind of accepted playing field of what is considered to be standard morality, right? And again, very loosely defined, but when we do start to see objectively bad things, right, that, that are, are negatively impacting society, where's that fine line there? Are you tired of just managing through each day, constantly battling pain, anxiety, and sleepless nights? Well, it's time for a change. Experience the transformative power of Ebel's CBD. Say goodbye to survival mode and hello to thriving. Visit briannicholshow.com forward slash Ebel's, E-A-B-L-E-S, and use code T-B-N-S for an exclusive 15% off your order. Your journey to wellness starts now. And now, back to the show. So when it comes to advertising, and this is a constant conversation in sort of the, the prohibitionist movements, like this is advertised and people end up doing more of it. I think it was Ludwig von Mises who said that you can't make people buy candles and switch away from electricity to candles just by advertising it intensely. There's only so much you can do. When alcohol or nicotine or gambling are introduced to societies, it's it's practically impossible to get rid of them. The Soviet Union tried it, Nazi Germany tried to ban the smoke, smoking completely in public places. And, you know, the, the, the documentaries about World War II really show you that that didn't really work out at all. So I think um, there's certain things we can't, like, we, we can't just rid ourselves of them by law. What advertising also does, and I think this is very important because people only look at this as, oh, this is the company trying to 
to make money. And of course it is. But what advertising also does for consumers is it informs them about the serious players on the market. A brand you trust uh, is, is often a brand that advertises in a certain way. And for instance, when it, when it comes to gambling, when gambling, when, when sports betting became legal in the United States, now a lot of consumers didn't really know, okay, well, what is the brand now that is regulated and can be trusted? And how do I not fall into the trap of getting scammed by one of those one of those illicit sites uh, that you know I, I may be able to access because I use a VPN and so on, um, and 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 advertising helps in that in establishing a reputation and trust uh, with consumers. Of course, those brands. I mean, what ultimately I think this is this is very interesting that we covered in the podcast as well. Those brands are ultimately not really creating new gamblers. These ads don't create new people to gamble. What they do is they compete against other brands in order to get the attention of those who already gamble. I think this is super important. It's the same way that if you're on a bus stop and you see an ad for alcohol, it doesn't try to incentivize the 16-year-old on his, on his way to school to start chugging a bottle of whiskey. What it tries to do is say, oh, if you like whiskey, choose our brand instead of the competitor. And I think this, there's a big misunderstanding with sort of what advertising in a lot of these vices tries to achieve. So let me then take this one step further. What would you say would be the best way for folks outside of the the strong arm of government to help curtail some of the the, the, the changing of acceptance and tolerance? Right. So is it is it is it okay? Is it is it is it a good part of the market for voices to say drinking bad, right? And and not using government to force down saying no drinking, but rather maybe to counter, not just the whiskey saying this is the better whiskey brand, but somebody saying whiskey's bad. Is, is that an acceptable, I guess, uh, kind of alternative to this uh, type of solution? Well, the interesting thing is that it, th- there's a lot of people in public health that that, that mean genuinely good. I mean, they, they don't come at this from a bad place. And, you know, 10, 20 years ago, essentially what they were doing was saying, okay, this is the amount of alcohol per week where you're not really running a health risk um, and you can still enjoy yourself. And sort of if you go beyond that, that that's problematic. Um, but this is sort of the, the reasonable level. And they've moved away from that. So they shifted the goalpost to essentially reduce that number to the extent that essentially you give up drinking completely. And they mix up the science and their ideology in order to match the two and say, well, no amount of drinking is acceptable or good for your health. And that is just, we just know that that's not true. So I think if they wanted to do something productive, it's just inform people sort of, this is what we think is good. This is this is like what the science tells us in terms of the amount of drinking that will get you in trouble and the amount that won't. Um, you know, just be aware of if you go to a party, drink water in between, stay hydrated, these type of things. I think we really... But what we do by demonizing it completely and saying, okay, all of it is bad for you, is that we end up just not giving guidance whatsoever to people who will be drinking no matter what. Um, and, uh, and, and we just, we just abandon this idea. I mean, also, for instance, in tobacco, the amount of people smoking has considerably dropped since the introduction of tobacco harm reduction with like e-cigarettes and these heat not burn devices, because essentially people, people through the market got an alternative that is, provenly 95% less harmful than smoking conventional cigarettes. And this has really helped people to wean off smoking. So the market provides a lot of solutions. And if campaigners want to say, look, we might disagree ideologically on whether you should do those things in the first place, but okay, let's at least find a way in which you do it in a safer manner, in which you know you don't bother other people. I think that's perfectly acceptable. But I think where, where it stops for me is when 
you suggest that we should use the police and, you know, I don't know, the DEA and people you know, busting through your window because they suspect you a dealer. I mean, all the consequences of sort of the war on drugs to replicate that onto other things by banning them also, I think that's a terrible way to go about it. Yeah, and, and how about this? As we go towards uh, the little segment we call Final Thoughts here, I'll kick things off and I'll turn it over to you for your final thoughts. Um, I, I am absolutely on board with no government being able to come in and, and dictate these, you know, these social goods with a caveat, right? As we get more and more down to the local level, I think there's at least more of an argument for some of your local, your, your localities to make decisions that's better for them. And, and the reason being is that when we take, and let's use the, the, the United States as the example here, you have one country, but 50, not just, you know, entirely different states as it pertains to their, their socioeconomic statuses, but also geographically speaking, culturally speaking. I mean, we have folks in Alaska and then contrast that with folks in Hawaii. It's night and day, right? So to, to have these one size fits all policies, I think is a very dangerous path to go. But as you start to get more localized, let's say you go to Alaska is we're using this as the example. Maybe there's a state policy, but maybe we make it even more granular. You know, maybe it's Anchorage, Alaska is making a city policy that would then I think in, in that world be more acceptable versus that one size fits all for entire country. Now, with that being said, is this the effective solution? I don't think so. Cause anytime you start to use government to put policies into place that are against the culture, you're going to get kickback. And we learned this from Andrew Breitbart. Politics is always downstream from culture. So then I go into, well, how do we most effectively change the culture? And you used um, not just, you know, the, the smoking example and you brought up e-cigarettes from a, a market standpoint offering alternatives. But hey, I grew up, you grew up, you're a millennial. Um, we grew up during the era of all the, the truth.org commercials where it's showing, you know, the, the differences between a healthy lung and a, a smoker's lung. So there, there was absolutely marketing that was taking place that was trying to change the culture for a younger generation as they turn into older, uh, you know, older consumers. And I, I can't remember the specific study I saw, but there was a decrease in the number of smokers prior to e-cigarettes really taking over the market that seems to have been something pushed by the culture. Now, this is not to say, you know, yes, we have to support organizations like D.A.R.E. who are going out and overtly lying to children, but we can, I think, walk and chew gum at the same time saying, are you ready to take your love of liberty to the next level? Join pro-liberty students and activists from around the world at LibertyCon 2024 in Washington, D.C., February 2nd through February 4th. With powerful speakers, innovative ideas, and of course, a vibrant pro-liberty community, LibertyCon will educate, empower, and energize you. Use code TBNS to get 25% off your tickets today. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash LibertyCon and secure your spot to the biggest pro Liberty Conference of the Year. Smoking's not good for you. Like, you can make an argument trying to say, like, you know, oh, smoking helps helps me lose weight. Smoking helps me calm down. Like, all these kind of, um, you know, anecdotal uh, answers folks will give why they enjoy smoking. But objectively speaking, just as I, who used to weigh a 380-pound uh, life, I know that eating surplus amounts of calories and not working out and 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 that will lead to a, an unhealthy lifestyle where I am morbidly obese and just hating life. That's an objective reality. Same thing is true for people who smoke. If you smoke, you will more likely than not have negative health consequences, whether that's lung cancer, pulmonary issues, whatever it may be, those will pop up. And I think we we have to kind of acknowledge the kind of black and white 
yes, this is good, yes, this is bad, but also saying, as long as you know that, make a decision because you are a, a human adult with a functioning brain. Go ahead, make that decision for yourself. But when it comes to, you know, trying to, to change the culture, I think we do have to at least acknowledge when certain policies or certain practices are good, but also are bad and call them for what they are. I guess that's my final thoughts today, Bill. What do you have for us on your end? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree that you know, smoking is bad for you. I mean, we know that. that is, it's absolutely terrible for you. Uh, I would just say as an addendum, uh, the, the decrease in the amount of cigarettes being sold um, that is, well, I mean, it has a lot of factors, one of them being the price and cigarettes have become exponentially more expensive. But what we can't track as well is the people that buy it on the illicit market, the sort of the, 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 the black market cigarettes. That is really difficult to trace. And I mean, that was, for instance, the case of, of Eric Garner, who was choked to death by police officers in New York, and he was selling illicit cigarettes. So essentially, what, when we have more prohibition or this quasi-prohibition through price, we're going to see more of those cases as well. And that's what I really worry about. What you said about decentralization I agree with as well. I think having local communities decide is better, but then we can spin the argument further and say, well, the ultimate decentralization is towards the individual and the individual making choices for themselves. I think that is the, that's where we should get. And in terms of my final thoughts, well, I really hope that people enjoy the podcast. I hope that uh, people will subscribe and tick the notification bell so they don't miss, miss the, the next, uh, the upcoming episodes. I hope they recommend it to their friends and family. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's we, we want to continue with this work. There might be season two, and we're going to be uh, looking into more organizations such as these. So thank you so much for allowing me to plug the podcast. Absolutely, Bill. Yes, the podcast is The Fun Police from the Consumer Choice Center. Bill, we really appreciate you coming on the show this morning. And uh, also, folks, if you enjoy the show, which I know you did, go ahead, give it a share. When you do, tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. You can find me on Facebook as well as over on X. Bill, where can folks go ahead and find you as well as Consumer Choice Center and support your work? You can follow me on X at Wirtz, W-I-R-T-Z, Bill, and Consumer Choice Center at Consumer Choice C. And then, of course, Fund Police on all the major podcast platforms and YouTube. Perfect. All right, folks. Well, that's what we have for you today. So to wrap things up uh, for The Brian Nichols Show, if you are joining us for the first time, well, thank you for stopping by. Uh, and if you are stopping by, well, please make sure you hit that subscribe button before you uh, you bounce. And you can find us over on the, uh, the video versions of the show as well as the audio versions on video, YouTube, Rumble. Um, we're also uploading our entire episodes to x.com. And also we upload our episodes to Ben Swan's Sovereign, S-O-V-R-E-N, great independent media entity over there. And if you are watching us over on Sovereign, congratulations. You're seeing today's episode before anybody else. That's your Sovereign exclusive. And then if you are listening to us in the podcast version of the show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube Music, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts, much like your YouTubes or video version of the show. Just hit that subscribe button. Super important. Now, if you are watching us in the videos, hit that like button, hit that little notification bell so you don't miss a single time we go live. But also head down below in the comments. Let us know your thoughts about today's episode. Do you do you think that the approach to dealing with vices is is actually taking place in a proper way or should we be taking the approach that Bill's taking? What are your thoughts? Leave it uh, down below in the comments. And then uh, one final thing, by the way, yes, we are doing still our Don't Hurt People. Don't take people's stuff. Bumper sticker giveaway. Head over to BrianNicholsShow.com. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And when you do, 
Take a screenshot, email it to me, brian at briannicholsshow.com. You will be entered not only to win that uh, awesome gift card, or an um, awesome uh, bumper sticker, but also, yes, a $100 gift card over to our friends at Proud Libertarian, where you can buy uh, this awesome snapback, for example. Good ideas don't require force. We have snapbacks, we have hoodies, we have backpacks, t-shirts, all that and more. So make sure you head over to briannicholsshow.com, leave your review, and get entered to win some goodies for the holiday season. That's all I have for you. With that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show from our Cardio Miracle Studios for Bill Wirtz. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.